0: In this episode of Boss Files, if the
1: U.S. doesn't keep up its funding for foreign aid or other countries don't, we will fall back.
0: Billionaire philanthropist Melinda Gates, she and her husband Bill want to make sure the world is tracking global progress on solving some of the biggest issues. From eradicating poverty to child mortality and maternal death.
1: Bill and I believe in equality. We believe that all lives, no matter where you're born on this planet, have equal value.
0: They've launched the annual Goalkeeper Report from now until 2030 to track the progress we're making on achieving the U.N. Sustainable Development Goals. So what sparked this and what is their hope? I sat down with Melinda Gates in New York to ask her. Here's my conversation with Melinda Gates. You and Bill have launched what is this annual goalkeeper report from now until 2030, obviously, when the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, will hopefully be met by the world community. And it's to make sure that every dollar spent to alleviate poverty has maximum impact. Why what sparked this? What was the need to to track it like this so publicly?
1: Well we realized that these goals were set by 193 nations two years ago 2015 and two years have already passed and we're on our way to 2030 and we realized that if we want to make progress against these goals we have to track and report on the data because that progress is what makes things change, but the progress isn't inevitable. And without data, we won't know year by year how we're doing.
0: In the report, you, you write, there is more doubt than usual about the world's commitment to development. Mm-hmm. Right. Mean?
1: I think people are a bit skeptical. They wonder whether money's gone, should we be spending it instead in the United States or in my own country? And what we want to point out to people that we need to keep doing is that you know, these huge drops, you know, poverty cut in half, maternal mortality cut almost in half, childhood death cut in half. If it wasn't for these investments, we wouldn't see that incredible progress. We wouldn't see this tidal wave that came of HIV being brought down so substantially but we have to continue those investments if we don't those things will come back and will be on the rise
0: and you talk about taking it from the viewpoint of of justice you say take it from the point of view of justice or take it from the point of view of creating a secure and stable world Development deserves our attention. The word that stood out to me so much is justice. What is is right and fair and just in the world?
1: Right, and Bill and I believe in equality. We believe that all lives, no matter where you're born on this planet, have equal value. So why is it that if you're in Angola, you're 75 times more likely to die than if you're born in Finland? That just shouldn't be. And there are actually simple interventions that we can do, that we do here in the United States that aren't that complicated if done in the developing world, that will save those lives. We should make those investments. And it means that some of these low-income countries can become middle income countries and have economies and people will stay where they are in their own country. We see countries who've been lifted out of poverty like South Korea and more of those can happen in the next 15 years, but we have to
0: make these investments. Through this report, you track 18 key data points that that are fundamental to this. One of them and number one in the report is child mortality, which is a proxy for so much else and also a leading indicator. How are we doing by looking at how many children are dying. Right.
1: How are we doing? We're doing incredibly well. Since 1990, we have halved the number of children who die under the age of five. That's incredible progress. And so what it means is that a mother or father who lives in a low-income country, they can count on when their child is born on them surviving. And if a mother and father knows that their children will survive into adulthood, they're gonna naturally bring down the number of children they have. And then it means they can invest in those two or three kids' education and those kids can go on to participate in the economy and have a productive job. And so it starts a country, a community, a family, a community, a country on that virtuous cycle of prosperity,
0: as you know, Warren Buffett calls it the ovarian lottery. I mean, so much of his success he ascribes to just the family he was born to, where he was born, the time he was born in, uh, vaccines. And you and the foundation have poured so much money and effort and resource into vaccines. Why is it at at this point, when the world is so rich, that still there is a problem saving? lives, children's lives through vaccines?
1: Because we don't make the investments. If we don't make the investments as a world, what happens is that vaccine system that exists in the developing world, that gets the supply of the right vaccines out to kids, it starts to crumble. Whereas if you make these investments, you get the supply chains working, and then you bring the new tools in, you make sure that the measles vaccine gets out there, you make sure that as a new disease comes up, you have the right vaccine, the right strains for that disease, it means that kids then stay alive. But if you don't continue to make those investments, the system crumbles, and the pharmaceutical companies don't invest in the vaccines for the developing world if they can't see a market. But if you make these investments, then the vaccine companies see the market for it, see Mm. the potential. We make investments in those pharmaceutical companies, and they'll make the right investments for vaccines for the developing
0: world. Maternal mortality, moms, moms staying alive. Yeah. Another huge data point. Uh, That has shown a lot of progress, right? The report details, the the number of mothers who've died has been cut in half Mm. in the past generation. Is there a lesson from that success to use elsewhere?
1: Absolutely. And... One of the countries that's using the biggest success, that we learned the success in Sri Lanka and in Rwanda and other smaller countries, the country that is using that success the most is Ethiopia, second most populous country in Africa, incredibly important. They realize that when women give birth in a clinic instead of at home, the woman is much more likely to survive and the child is more likely to survive. So they made 15,000 little health clinics. They're tiny, they're not very big. They train the healthcare workers. There's an army of 45,000 women now that, that staff these clinics. And they did all the right cultural things women didn't want to go to the clinics because they said well i need the traditional birth attendant or the religious leader right so they have those people going with them they said i don't want to be carried on a stretcher to a hospital nobody who goes on a stretcher to a healthcare clinic ever comes back so they said uh-oh okay i guess we need different stretchers to take pregnant women because ah. pregnant women are going to survive and as villagers started seeing more pregnant women surviving Guess what? They started going to the health clinics more. And so Ethiopia has dropped its childhood mortality significantly just in the last eight years. That progress can be made. If you could do it in a populous country like yeah. that, you can do it anywhere.
0: You also note in this report, because a lot of reports only highlight sort of we're working on this, so these are the positive mm-hmm. things. You say we know that some of these goals are not attainable by 2030. Are we at a an inflection point, at a tipping point right now, where it could go either way. Absolutely.
1: If we don't keep making these investments, if the US doesn't keep up its funding for foreign aid or other countries don't, we will fall back. So we highlight in the report for HIV AIDS, Mm -hmm. we've made enormous progress as a world. It's now not a death sentence in the developing world. We're doing more on prevention. But even a 10% cut in funding of HIV, that would result in over 5 million people dying. But
0: how do you convince the powers that be in Washington how important this is to do it. You've been spending time at the White House a lot recently and with members of Congress. Are they hearing you? I think they are.
1: And I think it's up to Congress to keep up this funding around foreign aid. We saw some proposed cuts that were pretty extreme coming out of the Trump administration. But these have been bipartisan issues that have had a lot of support over time. So it's our job and our partners' jobs To keep up and make Congress know this progress has happened. And, you know, it's the incredible generosity of the United States and other countries that mean that we can create peaceful and prosperous societies around the world. And we need to do it for all those reasons, but also. Just think about the Ebola crisis. That disease crosses borders now. We don't want what happens in West Africa to show up Zika. In, in our doorstep. Yeah, Zika. So we got to make these investments in these small healthcare systems, these primary healthcare systems, and in vaccines. And you're not going to see as much disease and disability around the world or in our own country.
0: Uh, poverty elimination has always been a goal of the of your foundation there is a really fascinating uh, anecdote about what's happening in in India not an anecdote a reality check about what's happening in India right now is the country has gotten richer fewer women are working there mm-hmm. and that's concerning too it is concerning so
1: in india if you are extremely poor the women work mm-hmm. but it's not considered an honorable thing necessarily because the types of work that they go into, a bricklayer, for instance, or somebody who picks garbage, that's not honorable work. But one of the things we learned that as India implemented a financial system where you can get, you can go in and literally, even if you're illiterate with your thumbprint, you have an ID number. And so if a woman goes into the workforce, her wages go into her own account, not the husband or the head of the household's account. And as she started to get more wages in her account, she started working more, she started switching into other industries, Mm -hmm. and she started spending the money on her family. And so it's one of these incredible tools, this access to financial services, a bank account. When you're unwelcomed at the bank, but Mm -hmm. you can do it on your phone, you can do it with your thumbprint. It is one of the tools that gets at this nefarious thing we call empowerment for women. Mm -hmm. Financial services in a woman's hands is one of the keys Mm -hmm. to unlock her empowerment. And so then women are proud to be workers, and they stay in
0: the field, and they earn more money. It's interesting. You have to see with advancement in countries getting richer, you have to make sure things like that aren't happening too much, where women are equally sharing in that success. Absolutely. You have, before we go quickly, a powerful... Uh, advocate on all of this, you have a number of them, but you have a big name supporter in President Obama Mm -hmm. and former First Lady Michelle Obama, President Obama in New York with you promoting this.
1: Yeah, so we'll be doing, Bill and I will be hosting an event called Goalkeepers, and it's about the progress that's been made Mm -hmm. uh, around these sustainable development goals, making sure people know that progress isn't inevitable, but also talking about leadership, that it takes leadership. Uh, to make this change. So President Obama will be on stage with us. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau from Canada will be on stage. Malala will be there to talk about what does leadership look like and why does it matter and why should we believe Mm. in this. And so, yeah, we're honored to have all of those people on stage with saying this is the right thing and we're all going to show leadership and support to make sure the right things happen on behalf of the poorest of the world. So
0: everyone's itching to know what the Obamas are going to do next, big picture. Should we expect more joint efforts between the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Obamas?
1: Well, I think we'll we'll wait and see. I mean, they have to really define what it is they're going to work on. But I think one of the things President Obama has spoken already very eloquently about is he wants to bring up young leaders, yeah, leaders of the future who are part of making change for the world. So you can expect that we're going to work with him on that. We believe in young leaders. We want to highlight young leaders. We want to bring them forward. So, of course, if he does that, we're going to work with him, and we'll see what else they're going, they're going to work on over time.
0: Melinda Gates, thank you very much. Thanks, Poppy. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a fan of the show, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a review. Let us know how we're doing. And as always, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Poppy Harlow CNN.